Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. Now, Q, I noticed that you were two minutes late to a recording that was already 13 minutes early. (laughs) Normally, I wouldn't bring this kind of thing up, but frankly, this is getting to be a pattern of you being late for being early, and we really need to have this conversation. The truth is, I was working on a modern masterpiece, box art, for a fictional video game that, you know, the the currency we deal in here uh, at Playwright. Is it one of ours? It is not, um, but it was too irresistible because uh, this joke was made uh, in the Discord that uh, that I'm on called Scone Squad, uh, which is a long story. Mm-hmm. I won't get into it. You're also on the Discord. I just posted it in that, but I won't, I'm going to send it to you directly. And even though it's a sight gag, if you could... Just kind of describe what you're seeing here for the podcast listener at home. I really think that they'll they'll delight in this box art. What I'm looking at is a Tom Clancy's Tom Clancy, Thomas Leo Clancy, the video game. That's right. Um, <laughs> so it seems to feature a picture of a soldier overlaid onto the, uh, what is it, St. Peter's Basilica in, uh, <laughs> what is the name of that building? I, I, yeah, the, the Tetris Tower is in Russia. That's that's it. <laughs> the Tetris Tower, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, this really tickled me. What And what is it rated? It's rated T for Tom Clancy. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I really just, uh, every once in a while, I tickle myself with something like this. So uh, today is one of those examples. I apologize, listeners. You can't see it. You know what we'll do? I'll I'll put it up on our site so you can see it along with this this episode's post because it, this deserves to be seen. I think this is this is a work of art. So if you were um, if you were particularly intrigued by my just really spot on description <laughs> of this uh, this image on a, a completely audio medium, then uh, you can go over to playwrightcast.com. That's right. And hey, maybe you even have a video game pitch that is Tom Clancy's Tom Clancy. Thomas Leo Clancy. Is that your pitch for today? No, (laughs) luckily it isn't. But I'm first today, aren't I? Why don't you go first today? What are you pitching? My pitch this week is a little potentially strange. It's a mishmash of a few ideas that have been boiling around in my head. Uh, So I've been thinking about the, the game Dante's Inferno. I've been thinking of... The real Dante's Inferno. I think you're the only one in the world that's been thinking of the game Dante's Inferno. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I watched last night the first episode of HBO's uh, Righteous Gemstones, uh, which hmm. is about some, uh, let's say, uh, less than on the up and up uh, preachers who were running one of these mega churches. And so hmm. I was thinking about what if there was kind of a game where you're playing as this might sound a little uh, cliche, so hold me back for a second. A priest who's trying to like smite demons back to hell. It's a third person action game, but get this, it has four phases that are all based on the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So first the game, you have to 
free captive people, um, and that is, of course, uh, in order to battle conquest. Maybe these are like Dark Soulsian-like bosses. Then you command uh, the people that you free to fight with you, and that's the war section of the game. Then you have to keep the army alive and fed and do, like, base building during famine, and then uh, go into, like, wave-based survival mode for plague. All right, very interesting. Let's go ahead and start the clock there. So I do tend to like um, games that incorporate these kind of otherworldly religious themes like the Binding of Isaac and Bayonetta, um, you know, kind of incorporating some of the ways that like angels and demons and and the kinds of, you know, religious mythology is described within the the books themselves because there's some like really crazy stuff that doesn't really make it into the like pop culture versions of everything. And I think like getting in there and really kind of like examining things and pulling at the roots of, and maybe even making literal things that were only supposed to be read as metaphor. Like I think there's furtive ground for some really imaginative designs in there. When I was thinking about this, it was kind of that feeling. There's an old Xbox game that I used to play called Hunter, the reckoning redeemer. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was, that's a mouthful of a name. But what I thought would be really cool, especially looking at how moody and atmospheric control is from Remedy, and at least in the videos that I've seen, I'm excited to play it. I would love to see these, like, you are playing in a town where the apocalypse begins, and maybe there's a chance to actually hold back the apocalypse for your people in your town, and how that manifests gameplay-wise could be really interesting to me. So are you creating a bastion from the apocalypse as it happens to the rest of the world? Or are you trying to prevent it from happening at all? And like your town is just kind of like the seed point. Yeah, I think you could go in in the direction of you. Maybe you don't have control over stopping it. And you are just trying to keep your people alive throughout it. But I also like the idea of, hey, if you can actually stop this thing in its tracks, you have a chance to sort of quell the actual apocalypse and doing so means that you need to obviously like make it through all of those sort of trials that ensue but could you imagine like i would be shocked if this hasn't been done but a video game set piece where it truly is raining blood from the skies or there's Mm. you know uh (laughs) a horde physics to do an entire host of toads hitting the ground during plague. Yeah, it's kind of funny, like following the the Moses plagues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so far, I think the only the only games that I know of that have raining blood are uh, Divinity Original Sin 2, maybe World of Warcraft, and uh, Guitar Hero 3, I think. I'm going to take you at face value on that. <laughs> so personally, for me, I think actually the aspects that I'm most interested in is kind of before the big calamities kick off, the more kind of like day to day, but still supernatural elements of your priestly work, like insofar as like, you know, a gamified version of the exorcist or something on that level where you're called in to, to do something in a modern world that doesn't believe in you or the, you know, the religion that you profess um, but you're just trying to do your best to fight otherworldly powers that the rest of the world doesn't know, you know, is 
at war around them. Yeah, that's in a weird way. That's almost like uh, astral chain in some ways, right? Like people can't okay. see the the actual calamity that surrounds them on a day to day basis. I like the idea of playing with that and you being like for the actually the first person to know that the real apocalypse is coming and having to <laughs> face that. Like how many times has the doomsday clock been struck by, uh, by, you know, people of religion and, and that sort of thing. And for you to actually get the signs and to actually be the one and having to do the like boy who cried wolf sort of shtick mm. is kind of, kind of an interesting thing. I don't know how it manifests gameplay wise other than, preaching and conversations and getting up on soapboxes and all that kind of thing, but it could be cool. Yeah. Well, I think that creates interesting opportunities for branching gameplay paths. Um, whether or not your townsfolk believe you and trust you as a leader within the community, because presumably if you're starting off kind of in 21st century world, you know, probably the local priest isn't like, you know, they're probably like respected in the way that you respect, like, elders in any kind of like community service type of role, but they're not like, you know, leaders necessarily. Right. But when things start to get supernatural and weird, then a lot more people kind of like seek out the the wisdom of the church and, you know, people are more kind of on board for that kind of thing. And so depending on like how you interact with the people in the community and depending on some of the choices that you've made, um, whether you've cut corners and whether you've maintained kind of a good public image, um, it could cause people to either kind of uh, trust what you're saying and, and support you and your, um, and your mission or to abandon you or turn against you or blame you for everything that's happening. That's interesting. So maybe that could affect a later phase of the game of how many people are willing to sort of follow you into war. I do like uh, we have... I, more actually when we started the show than now, but we, we've talked about so many times on the show games where you're playing with genres and you're doing that sort of near automata sort of shifting back and forth in perspectives and gameplay styles. And I love the idea of going through, uh, you know, freeing captive or like conquest, you know, is about conquer, right? So like conquering mm -hmm. your flock and gaining the influence and then war is using the influenced people to fight the war for you and famine is going and shoring them up and upgrading and so like upgrading and stuff doesn't even show up till phase three or something of the game and i love the idea of powers being like you know your typical D D like sort of stuff of like smite but like what if an exorcism was a power and you could exercise demons out of things and uh all those kind of fancy spells and they have increasingly insane effects maybe there are some that are more flashy than others um things like you know again pulling from like biblical texts uh a fire of or a pillar of fire coming from the sky or pulling from Catholic tradition, like holy water and stuff like that. Like some of them would make quite a ruckus if you were to actually invoke them. Um, they'd be very powerful, but like they might frighten people. And so you really have to, um, even though you are using, you know, holy powers and not evil powers, you really have to, to gauge the importance of every time you use your magic and the, uh, 
is the people that are around you, how it's going to affect the situation. That's interesting. And one of the things that could be cool about that as well is the idea of if one of the phases of the game was very overhead FPS sort of thing happening, then you could actually do something where you have your StarCraft-like workers where you are blessing priests. You're like putting people into the priesthood, blessing them and turning them into people who can like create holy water for you. So you're like having to maintain holy water reserves to fight off evil. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny having to manage blessing certain objects. I don't really know the process for that. Um, I actually have a friend who is studying to become a Catholic priest. And so it's really interesting to like talk to him and like everything that he's learning and going through and kind of like, I get to throw a lot of my like, Hey, this is something I picked up from television. How real is it? <laughs> so I'm I'm curious the process of blessing, like what that entails. Yeah. And what makes, what makes blessing uh, potent or powerful or whatever, like what really equips you to fight the evil. Yeah, I mean, presumably it would be like the love of Jesus, right? <laughs> right. Oh, man. So you could do in that scenario, uh, like Frostpunk, like the heat gauge or the heat vision, you could do the love of Jesus vision. Uh, just how much do, <laughs> do people really love Jesus in your flock? Oh, I pictured it like like his love in particular. And so it's like, how much does he really care about you? And if you do more good things, then he's like, you know what? I'm really warming up to you. <laughs> this guy, he's been doing a lot of good work for me lately. And I'm pretty impressed. My my love meter is is all but full. So now you have this weird Jesus romance dating sim tucked inside of this thing, which is great. Yeah, dream deity. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, We'll save that for E3 next year. Yeah. Well, that's about 10 minutes. <laughs> Why don't we call it there? Right. Uh, H, did, did I get to anything here? What, 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 what do we call this thing? Dream deity is pretty good. <laughs> Maybe apocalypse wow. <laughs> <laughs> With like the wow in bubble letters, like a, like a late 95 uh, screensaver disc. Oh, perfect. Um, I don't necessarily have any objections to that. Uh, I like Apocalypse Wild. Why don't we go for it for now? (laughs) Okay. Uh, We might have to think about how that, uh, how that complements or conflicts with the tone when this actually goes to market. But for now, (laughs) that is a fine placeholder. (laughs) Anyways, my pitch today. This is actually the first pitch that is made from the offices of one of the big three. I am recording from... Microsoft in the Xbox division today. Whoa. So yeah, I, uh, I just moved house and my internet is not set up at home. So I decided to do one from work. Thank God this is nonprofit because we could really get who lead by Microsoft for doing this. Yeah. You know, uh, major Nelson's going to come up and be like, I'm the only one who does podcasts around in these parts <laughs> of dueling pistols at dawn. And of course, Anyways. when you say major Nelson, we all know that his official name and title is Larry Herb, Xbox Live's Major Nelson. <laughs> I think that's his, that's his given name. That's right. A lot of people forget that first part. My idea today is more of a concept for like an art exhibition than any one game in particular. It's kind of a collaboration between a lot of potentially a lot of different uh, game artists. And what I would like to do is have a gallery... Um, Potentially a gallery that does more kind of classical art or a gallery that does, you know, different types of art. I'm thinking uh, paintings and sculptures primarily, but it encourages 
phone use because every piece has a little AR game that you can play on your phone. And it doesn't necessarily have to be anything deep, but you know, the characters in the painting can pop out and run around, or you can like collect things within a landscape painting or something, you know, just to give people a chance to, uh, to really go inside the art and um, experience it in a new way. So it could be fun, like a pop-up museum type thing. But anyways, that's my idea for today. AR games with every painting in a gallery, starting the clock there. So I can go and essentially mine, well, what quote-unquote mine, take items from different paintings? Uh, Yeah, potentially. I mean, there could be like a gallery-wide collectibles, things that you can like, you can get your score on the way out, or maybe there are, certain paintings that interact with each other even, but I'm thinking like first and foremost, each painting should be kind of a standalone experience. Like I would like it. I would would love if each painting was like programmed by a different team or a different individual uh, with their own little AR game kind of based on um, transforming whatever is, is featured in the artwork. That's interesting. Okay. Cause when you were talking about scavenger hunts, I was like, it would be cool to use machine learning to like, essentially if there's an apple and there's an object in front of it in a painting, Mm -hmm. then machine learning could you know, potentially extrapolate out what the rest of the apple looks like. And you could actually take objects out of paintings and collect them into your own thing for a scavenger hunt, or even like assemble your own paintings uh, as a remix of existing paintings, like without, you know, complex photo editing software, but more collaging. It would be fun. I mean, you know, as a gallery wide thing to have subjects of paintings and these would all have to be like programmed by people, you know, I don't know if like machine learning might be able to pull it off, but uh, basically have the entire gallery be, be like AR editable. So you can take like the subject of one painting and just kind of like drag it and save it onto your phone and then place it somewhere in another painting. And so as people are walking around and looking through their phones at these paintings, they see like, you know, where somebody moved the Venus de Milo paint uh, character into like onto the back of a ship in another painting and you know, I, I I think that sounds like a lot of fun as well, and kind of like make it a like a Minecraft Earth type thing that's very collaborative and and has a bit of that kind of like naughty graffiti aspect to it. There is something to I feel like books and movies have dealt in this so long, but it makes me think of uh, the game Edith Finch, where mm-hmm. you are kind of going through a house and you're entering into these vignettes and each of the vignettes are their own little gameplay pieces. And, you know, I think that there's, if you take something like the Mona Lisa, maybe there's just a good story to that, or there's like getting to have a conversation with this person. Like, I think we've all wanted to know at some point, well, this is, this is a stretch, but like, I've always like, what does the Mona Lisa sound like? Like, was this really a person? Is this mm-hmm. no one? Is this everyone? And then like the scream, what are they screaming about? Like what could, and you know, music videos and stuff over the years have even played with like, what if you could go into these things and we're good at recreating these effects. Uh, Starry Night is like a space shooter, potentially, uh, you know, a side-scrolling uh, shoot 'em up or something. Uh, 
I think that there's like room for individual stuff to make each painting feel like a game in and of itself. Although you would need to make sure you have like really good variety. The last supper of course is a cooking sim. Uh, is like, (laughs) (laughs) so like what, what sort of individual experiences could be crafted up? That's something I was thinking about that. I'm still having a hard time kind of wrapping my mind around whether I want, cause I, I want to keep this AR. Um, I don't want paintings to just be like a trigger to take me into like a separate experience. Like I still want whatever's happening to remain within the frame of the painting, but I don't know if I need to keep all of the subjects in frame there or whether, you know, just within the frame of the painting, I'm okay opening up a whole other world that, you know, the camera can kind of swoop around and, and give you different views and different angles and move to different rooms and stuff as long as as long as the frame is still like your your porthole into that world yeah i think one of the difficulties with ar if you were going to do any sort of can you find this hidden thing is in reality you're also dealing with the fact that the person can kind of look up at the painting themselves so that's fine with me okay i mean that's the objective is to get people more interested in the art in the first place (laughs) (laughs) shame on you uh get it tricking me into looking at art no i think that there there could be something there there's a there there i wonder if you know the same way it's i guess it's boring to say make it like a tour type of experience but i would love a narrator to be able to like you know, an educated narrator to be able to zero in on different details and talk to me mm-hmm. through them and that sort of thing. I think that would be neat. You know, I think these could even be very simple interactions that you have with each of the paintings. Like, you know, like in The Last Supper, think of them like uh, like more of like a Monty Python animation where maybe as you kind of tap each of the characters, they fall backwards in their chair, they make a silly little scream and they have their like, you know, stinky feet up in the air because they've fallen backwards in their chairs. Yeah. Uh, you know, like little things like that, kind of like the, um, the little interactions you'd get in like a humongous entertainment, uh, point and click adventure or something like that. That's kind of cool. And then like, you could also do stuff where you have parts of the paintings missing and, like you are mm-hmm. served up a little inventory of items and you have to put the correct thing. Not quite like a puzzle piece, but like what actually would be in space there. So it makes you yeah. go, oh, I didn't even notice this detail. And now here it is missing. It's my job to kind of locate and replace it, even if it's making you stare at just a section of the painting that you've never stared at before. And and then when you do complete it, that's what unlocks the sort of story moment or the the educational moment of like, this is actually this, this, and this. Yeah. Going back to an earlier point, though, like I am kind of warming up to the idea of having more kind of freely explorable spaces. Like I just think like I saw somebody did a, a demo of an AR piece that was uh, um, at one of the Seattle Indies um, meetups recently. And they had just like a flat illustration and uh, an AR version of that. They just recreated the illustration in 3D and you could interact with it in all sorts of different ways. And you can, you know, it was very complex. It was like a village or like a boat or something like that. And so you can kind of like look in all the windows and and move things around to expose um, 
kind of like a puzzle like you would see in Samarost or Nog or something like that. That's just, um, this is kind of like taking apart a puzzle box. And so, you know, I just, I, I really want each of these paintings to feel alive and to feel like, you know, they are um, interactable in a way that they've never been before. It could be really cool to just use them as almost an interactive coloring book in a way too, right? Where you mm-hmm. say to someone, hey, here's here's different colors of material that would have been available at the time that this piece was uh, painted. Like, why don't you change one of their robes to silk by dragging on color swatches and things like that? And Or to give you a black and white, like a grayscale version of like a Van Gogh painting and giving you, you know, the freedom to color it in yourself. And then you start to kind of like realize why certain choices were made in the the way that it was colored originally. And yeah, um, I feel like you uh, understand things better when you've given it a shot yourself. All right, let's call it there. All right. All right. We have an interactive art exhibit. What are we going to call this thing? I mean, I feel like in real life, if real museum curators were putting this together, it would be something kind of cheesy, like art unframed or something like that. Mm. Um, if we could, oh, you know what? <laughs> this is kind of funny. If we just called it ART. Oh, God. it's all in AR. So lowercase t, capital AR, yeah? Or AR-T or something. I don't know what the best way to communicate that you got to do A capital AR, lowercase t. It's the opposite of the lowercase i, capital everything else. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that's, it's cheesy but succinct and to the point. <laughs> Scott, this is going to be a weird episode title. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, Q, would you be kind enough to find us a community pitch for the day? I keep seeing those notifications come in and it makes me very happy. I know. It's it's really wonderful. I, I will preface this by saying shout out to our community. You guys are amazing. We've got a full email inbox. I'm not going to tell you to stop pitching, but you know, if we keep going, we will be we get to be selective about the pitches, which is really wonderful and have them match the tone and flow of the show. Um, like this pitch this week by Andreas Lannerson. Right, starting next week. <laughs> starting next week. Um, and uh, Andreas has wrote in a bunch of times. And now uh, again with this great one. I love it. Andreas writes, hey, this is a short one. Mini golf tycoon. You build courses and try and make as much money as possible. Go. All right. Very interesting. Mini golf tycoon i love this mm -hmm, i feel like oh gosh this is such like an open-ended thing it's such like a like a simple idea that it could really go in any direction i I guess we should establish at first like how grounded to the real life mini golf experience do we want to keep this or do we want this to just be like abstract off the wall because you know such a such a template we should draw some boundaries yeah i think you we could go probably Maybe a foot in both. I think that there's a, in my mind, room to do a uh, recently played a game, Parkitect, and Parkitect is very much about like controlling theme park sight lines and flow and manipulating how goods move around and that sort of thing. But that's on a lot of these sim games are on macro scales where you've got tiny little people in a really mm-hmm. big park. And I wonder what the mini golf could feel like on a micro scale, because you would need to like really go crazy with individual hole decorations, too. I would think that um, obviously there's a lot of physics at play here. The best mini golf courses, you know, have um, have 
slopes that are difficult to land your ball just right on yeah. and uh, really kind of tricky sections that if you don't hit it just right, it sends your ball back to an earlier part of, of that hole. Um, you know, a lot of them that, that feel like one of my favorite things in video games is when we're able to use the same obstacle more than once. So yeah, maybe like once on, uh, the, in, uh, sound shapes, I think is a time when I noticed that being used quite a bit, actually, if there's like a moving object, you'll have to dodge the same object, like usually like two or three times, just because like, it's really clever placement that as you kind of wind yourself through the labyrinth that is each screen it um yeah it 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 reuses that um that same it you know placed cleverly enough it can reuse that same ob- obstacle more than once it'd be really interesting to stamp blueprints and stuff out of different slopes and courses that you make i for whatever reason in my mind, I, I think it would be fun to have one of these games where the unique thing potentially about a mini golf set is you were trying to not only just balance, oh, like, you know, a ride has how much it costs and how fun it is and the like thrill level in Parkitect. In mini golf, you kind of want to hit the right balance of difficulty. You want uh, so you want mm-hmm. something to remain difficult for it to be fun, uh, but just enough difficult, not too difficult, unless you're trying to build like the Dark Souls of mini golf courses, which I don't <laughs> know if you is, is anybody's goal. But I'm, some sadistic money grabbing company somewhere is doing that. Um, but also like the idea of if you have 18, maybe you have to upgrade into 18 different holes and you start off with nine holes and you like slowly unlock the additional nine, mm-hmm. but you have to balance like keeping them all fresh too to keep customers returning. So like as you have one designed and kind of locked in, you can kind of reach peak performance with it, but it'll start to taper off over time as people learn the whole, then you'll need to be adjusting it to make it more and more difficult, or you'll need to be swapping out elements to keep people excited with it. And so you almost, if you keep unlocking the different uh, or additional holes, maybe you can even do a 200 hole court, you know, really <laughs> go beyond the realm of imagination there. Then you can, uh, in my imagination, Max is out of 200. <laughs> <laughs> then, then you can uh, have a, a mechanic where you're trying to keep each individual hole fresh and in rotation and most people flowing through it because you also want like rate of play. You don't want too many people gathered up at a hole. Well, that's the thing. If we're framing this like a tycoon game where you're funneling virtual customers through a course, then that would be approached very differently than if we were thinking about this like a mini golf hole creator in the same sense that like a Tony Hawk's pro skater park creator mode um, that is intended for player use because, you know, whereas something like roller coaster tycoon makes sense that it's just virtual people going through because like riding virtual roller coasters is fine, but it's not, you know, meaty (laughs) enough to make a whole game out of, but like something like golf is interactive by nature and has game-like elements. And I think like in a Mario Maker kind of way, like I would love to run through people's courses and see all the kind of like wild and batty stuff that they make. That's a great idea. I There's actually a mini golf course in Mario Maker. I don't know if you've played it too, but it's, a really? pretty, it's pretty good. Um, and, uh, you know, it involves mostly turtle shells dropping 
from a pipe continuously and you having to really just fire them off at the exact right moment, which is a little bit uninteresting for mini golf. But the idea of you're building, you're building the Tony Hawk level of mini golf courses and you could share it with the community. So you can, now you can do the Mario esque runs of like, I want to play 18 holes. I want to play 36 (laughs) holes or something like that. And you'll just get people's random mini golf courses. Mm -hmm. So all you really have to do is design a really great mint one single mini golf hole of mini golf. And then you can, you could potentially have a unit of value there. Now I would love if you can use tools like pipes and place them in, in similar ways that you could like, roller coaster tracks in a roller coaster tycoon game mm-hmm. make them all kind of like twisty and turny and so if somebody wants the one that points towards the hole that is the hole in one pipe they really have to like visually follow it through a whole like web and tangle of other pipes i also because he you know he did andreas did put tycoon in here so i think that there is if we do still do the mini golf maker aspect of it how could we have you potentially earning currency for people playing your levels and using it to upgrade or create new types of courses? Like, could it be something where if you set a particular par and people generally hit par, like the percentage of people that make par is an indication of you have made a quality hole? I don't want to discourage people from making challenge courses though. And I also don't want to discourage younger kids who aren't very good at making courses. You know, I don't want to like lock things off necessarily from people. Yeah. Um, which I think Mario Maker 2 does a really good job of not locking things away from people that are interested in playing. Maybe every time you rate a hole uh, or when you're done playing a hole, you can rate it and choose like a little you know, it doesn't cost you anything, but you can choose one, five or 10. And that's like dollars of tip that the person earns or something. Okay. And can we not call this game rate my hole when we're done with it though? <laughs> that's, it's perfect. <laughs> as we say every week, as we keep falling back into this trap, this again would also be a lot of fun in VR, um, in an everybody's golf VR kind of way, just, you know, getting up to somebody's course and then putting with the motion sensors. Yeah. I love the idea of also having stuff where, I mean, it'd be great even with the, uh, the, uh, joy cons on switch to get the full, uh, just mm-hmm. swing. We've got that infrared sensor in there. So I, I do like the idea of having a designing your own golfer and maybe even having part of your course be what, uh, what exact tools you give someone to putt with. Maybe there's different types of putters with different sorts of handicaps or abilities on them, which would be really neat. It'd be great if this was like an online social thing as well. So that like groups of friends could get together just like you would at a regular mini golf course and just kind of like hang out and, you know, shoot some balls and stuff to, um, it just has like a social time to, to get together virtually. Why don't we call it there? And, uh, I, unintentionally you may have given a great name which is just balls and stuff Mm. i don't know (laughs) if i'm feeling that one just yet (laughs) all right fair enough uh i would submit maybe something like a mini golf maker or something like that uh since we've taken it in kind of the makery direction um let's see if there there has to be there's so many good golf words i really kind of want to work one of them in here job of the putt is nothing (laughs) it's 
It's a completely unrelated pun. I like big putts, and I cannot lie. That's not really. I like big either. Big putts are pretty good. <laughs> That's not bad, actually. That sounds like the name of a mini golf course. <laughs> big putts, big putts, mini golf. <laughs> uh, that that tickles me a bit. I like that. All right, we'll call it big putts. <laughs> okay. Well, I do like, yeah, I do like big putts. That's, uh, that can be a box quote. <laughs> I do like big putts and I cannot lie. <laughs> I am incapable of lying. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, that was submitted by our community. If you would like to submit a pitch of your own, you can do it by tweeting us at PlayWriteCast. You can go to PlayWriteCast.com slash pitch, or you can uh, email us PlayWriteCast at gmail.com. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off the album Blue Noise. And, hey, if you get a chance, why don't you head over to Patreon and go support the Canaan Rinse Network. Your money goes to keeping people out of poverty. That's not true. Well, it kind of is true. <laughs> it goes to a good cause of supporting content that you love, like the Canaan Rinse Video Game Podcast, and of course, The Sausage Factory, and of course, Sound of Play. How could we forget? The whole family is here and making you great stuff. And by the way, you don't have to give a million dollars. One dollar a month, five dollars a month, it all goes a really long way, and it helps keep the shows on the air. We got a lot of questions. Do I have to give a million dollars? And we would always say that, like, you don't have to. I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, with the amount of podcasts that we put out there, it's a little insulting to receive anything less than a million dollars. But like, we understand that not all of our listeners are Jeff Bezos. Only one of our listeners, one of our fervent listeners, is Jeff Bezos. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's totally fine if you just want to give a paltry 30000 or something like that. We, we accept it gladly. I mean, I think that's and that's a good introductory amount. It's going to cover, you know, only part of my salary uh, and certainly a microscopic fraction of H's. And I mean, travel every week um, recording in England, like it, it really adds up. It's nuts. In fact, I ha it's really messed up. The last two years have messed up my sleep schedule. I'm not going to lie to you. Um <laughs> Okay, <laughs> why don't why don't I take us out with a a, a pitch, and you know exactly what it's going to be. <laughs> okay, the mini pitch to leave you on this week is for the Xbox One. Tom Clancy's Tom Clancy, Tom Leo Clancy, rated T <laughs> for Tom Clancy. Well, I'll walk down the hall and make sure that the Xbox team is, is gets right on that. <laughs> Thank you. Finally, a messenger. <laughs> we'll see you next week, everyone. Bye. <laughs> We'll <laughs>